0: Welcome to Project Liberal episode four, I believe, Um, episode four. We've been doing this for a while. Um, (laughs) My name's Josh Echel. I'm the uh, co-founder of Project Liberal, joined here as usual by my co-host, Jonathan Casey. Hello, hello. Hello, Jonathan. And uh, today we are doing a couple things. So we have Warren Ray joining us and I'll give a bio introduction about him in a second, but we're gonna try a new model. Um, in the past, last couple episodes, we've been very focused on having an expert and interviewing the expert about a, a, you know, a very specific topic. And today we're gonna try to make it a little bit more conversational, a little bit more fun, talk about some big high level ideas related to liberalism and uh, that's why I am very glad and excited to invite our guest Warren Ray. And Warren, I kind of pulled a bio out of out of thin air for you, so you know, feel free to correct this. But uh, I've seen you describe yourself as uh, as a as a, a political commentator. You're also an American attorney who practices law in the energy industry. I know you do streaming as well. I know that you at one point the neoliberals uh, elected you
1: the chief neoliberal show. We'll have to figure out what that means. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm asking. They- it was, big, uh, big, uh, it was quite an honor. i got to say it was certainly the highest honor of my uh, 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 commentating career,
0: such I, as it is. They have a bracket for that, right? Yeah, know, they
1: do, a cool yearly cool. bracket um, where they, uh, you know, it was sort of tongue-in-cheek to deal with at the time, all of these uh, socialists who would call anybody to the left of, uh, <clears throat> or I guess anybody to the right, rather, of uh, Lenin and Stalin, you know, neoliberal show. And so they decided to make a out about it. So it was a lot of fun. I and, love it. Uh, yeah. Do
0: they only elect one a year?
1: Yes. And okay. uh, they, uh, you serve for one term. And uh, you, know, you, you get there, hopefully, by Twitter posting. And you spend a year Twitter posting. So it's not uh, the highest demand uh, office. Uh, but it was fun. And the uh, current fellow, Matt Darwin uh, also, a lot of fun too. He's great. Uh, he's like, a, he's a real deal. Uh, show. He he works at a think tank. He does a lot of really cool policy work. Matthew Darling. Highly encourage you to check out his work.
0: Matthew so. Darling. Off to check him out. So that was for the neoliberal project, or I guess it was the Center for New Liberalism is what they go by that that, Mm -hmm. that election every year. Okay, gotcha. So I think, you know, just to frame everything, I know that you're a big advocate, a self-described advocate for liberty, open society, the constitution, a lot of those things that are related to liberal thought. I I find it interesting because I think that we might have um, kind of multiple unique perspectives on this podcast. So first and foremost, I know you describe yourself as a neoliberal, being the chief neoliberal shill. I think we describe ourselves, Jonathan, I speak for you, but more kind of classical liberals. Um, and I think that those two unique perspectives, I actually don't think those ideologies or those concepts are very far apart by any means. I think there's some distinctions, and those are the kind of things that I'd like to discuss. But I think that we'll have a pretty interesting, interesting conversation. Um, so without further ado, why don't we just kick it off with that question? Um, so you 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 were the chief neoliberal scholar at least were a couple of years ago.
1: Were yeah, although I, I refer to myself as emeritus because it was so much fun. You know? Noted.
0: So how do you describe neoliberalism for somebody who asks like what does that
1: mean to you? Well, it's an interesting question because I suppose today uh, in practice the uh, neoliberal project, which is gradually becoming the center for a new liberalism, is uh, increasingly sort of basically the center. of. Uh, center-left Democrats. And it's uh, it's an interesting, I, I don't presume to speak for them, uh, you know, the, the uh, shill uh, contest was kind of a fun Twitter poll project, but I don't, so I don't presume to speak for them or anything. But uh, in my view, uh, the way that I think about it is the liberal tradition uh, was very much uh, on one track from, I suppose, the time of the, uh, uh, early 19th century to the calamities of the early 20th century, right? And in the face of the rising tide of collectivism in the 1930s, uh, there were some who said, look, uh, we are still believers in the old ideas, but we feel like we've got to take on some uh, uh, some uh, of the reins of greater state power in order to fend off the unabashed, shameless state power of uh Rising collectivism on the left and on the right. Yeah. So uh, there, I suppose I don't know that there are too many people who genuinely uh, will, will call themselves neoliberals, but uh, I uh, I think that the general idea of it is that you believe in a free society and the maintenance of those institutions, which perhaps in a perfect world you might not want to spend all that much time and money on. Like I suppose the military uh regulations for the banking sector uh, a lot of a lot of uh uh, social welfare programs that maybe you might think okay well um you know the arguments for this on principle are often based on practicality as well Uh, maybe it is the case for example that i'm not a big fan of the bailout of the banks even though of course in practice, it ended up making the United States government money. Maybe I think still ideologically, look, that's just that's just not the role of government. Government has no place in doing that. Well, maybe so. But at the same time, uh, uh, it's important to protect uh, liberal society, such as it can actually exist in our fallen world. Um, that's a reference to Ideas like original sin, and all that mankind. Is
2: I grew up in an evangelical, <laughs> and so I completely understood the reference.
1: Every every time, so so, I used to say stuff like that. Sometimes people say, "Wow, are you some kind of right winger or something?" <laughs> no, just mankind, hey, perfect nature.
2: We've got all these things from different influences. May as well use them.
1: Yeah, right. fair enough. Yeah, so we try and meet that meet that uh, nature where it exists, and we say, "Look, uh, we want to try and tailor programs so that we can meet." Uh, people's real needs, like a functional economy that can survive crises, uh, and to that extent, uh, occasionally we'll make compromises with uh, the use of state power toward toward those greater ends. But at the same time, uh, I think it is also something that, in its proper form, involves a healthy distrust of the ability of state power to do things like to sure. plan the economy. Um, although, of course, there are those who would say, "Well, you know, your central bank is uh, a kind of economic planning in a very real sense and what you would say you know that's probably true it's just that you, know, you have to deal with uh you have to deal with the political circumstances as they exist The public does not want the uh, you know sort of uh boom bust boom bust economic cycles of the past uh, they are very politically problematic in practice they uh, cause a lot of all other uh, terrible consequences none of which seem to lead to freer societies only uh, more unfree societies and Therefore, for example, you end up with, uh, you know, you end up with uh, you know, a degree of economic planning, something I find important, but which I think is nevertheless better, uh, like, you know, at least theoretically, important. yeah, you know, uh, I think it's better than the alternative, which seems to be just about everywhere and always uh, much more intensive economic planning control of uh, people's economic lives and reduction of their individual liberties. So that's just kind of one example. Yeah, but that's the that's the idea. Trying to reconcile with the fact that, you know, uh, have you ever heard of Wagner's law?
0: I don't think so. No,
1: it's kind of interesting. I mean, it's one of those laws that's you know it's not a, a true law, but it's a description of a phenomenon, which is that in prosperous societies, the percentage of the economy that ends up being consumed by the government in GDP uh, continually increases. The United States is lower than say Europe, but it's still much higher than, you know, say, a developing country uh, and not that far apart from Europe, as we might sometimes imagine. Um, in fact, sometimes the United States has higher tax rates in European countries, not often, but, you know, when it comes to the, uh, the richest uh, people or, or corporations, sometimes it does. And the idea is that as a population gets richer, they want more money to be put into government expenditure. And it seems to be uh, it seems to be true that the public wants more public services. And uh, I imagine three of us would find some, uh, you know, take some issue with, uh, with you know, what many people might view as uh, as an unalloyed good public expenditure for social services. Might say, well, hold on, now there's some problems with that. Yeah, that's not that's not government's proper function, um, but it is overwhelmingly uh, the public's demand in industrialized countries all over the world, the cultures as far apart as say, you know, Japan and France. I mean, the pattern. Tends to hold. That's not an ironclad law or anything, but it's sure. something that just something about modernity that we have to reckon with and figure out how to how to deal with. Because so far, uh, you know, folks like say Margaret Thatcher, Ronald Reagan, who mm-hmm. uh, uh, are typically called neoliberal, but are now, of course, typically disavowed by the neoliberal project. Neoliberals. Uh, I'm I'm not disavowing either of but you know, no some, some, it's a it's a complex issue. Folks like that, though, I mean, they were able to arrest the growth of the state, but not much in the way of true reversal,
2: really. Right. Yeah. For Margaret
1: Thatcher sure. much more so than Reagan. I was going to
2: say Reagan yeah. expanded expanded a lot of things about government. Yeah. But kind of back to your point about about this this law. One of the things that I one of the arguments I make is that as we get wealthier, as we increase our wealth, the burden of government is actually going down. Sure, we're taxed at much higher rates than we were 100, 200 years ago. But the actual burden, the actual cost to people is quite a bit lower simply because our wealth has expanded so much greater than what it was in the past. So our, while our tax, our average tax rate is 30, 40, even 50 percent in the West, it's actually less than when it was, you know, two, three, four, five five percent because we have so much more wealth now than we did. So the burden of government is less, even though we're taxed uh, quite a bit at a higher rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we I think that we kind of we fa- fall into a, you know, a modernity. We've fallen into the, the you know, um, uh, kind of a, um, uh, a we kind of ignore the actual problems with with these growing these growing tax rates because the burden is perceptionally is is less yeah um, well,
1: that's an interesting point i i never um i haven't thought about that because i like you're saying that the burden is relatively less even if the rate is right, higher the burden right. is less because you're working with a much larger pie
2: exactly if yeah. you're if you're if you're a subsistence farmer in in you know 1700s 1800s mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, Kansas yeah. you're gonna you're if you're if you're being taxed at one or two percent that that's a that's a large cut to your to your actual income yeah. whereas whereas now if you're if you're working you're you're, you're working an you know a salary of sixty thousand dollars a year you're 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 even if you're taxed at fifty percent which you're not I, I don't know exactly the tax mm-hmm. record, but even if you're taxed at fifty percent there thirty thousand dollars the GDP value of that worldwide is Ten times the average worldwide salary, right? Yeah. So, I think in the West and in, in developed countries, we've got this—we've got this this sense that this, the burden of government is less, even though the tax—the uh, tax is higher. So, I don't know if that explains all of it. I think it explains mm-hmm. some of it.
1: Well, uh, it is—it's something that um, this is something I, I see sometimes in libertarian circles as a claim that the average American was actually freer prior to the American Revolution, yeah, which because well, it, it's one of those things where I mean. First of all, you know, not to go all woke on you, but of course that claim only really applies to that share of the population to which we all belong. But apart from that, you know, cause that's not really the thrust of the argument anyway. The The main thrust of the argument is taxes and uh, government control and interference in your life. And that's something that I'm, um, yeah, I mean, the tax burden issue, like you said, um, that's, it, it is a, uh, it's a relative share of a larger part. Also, of course, the not insignificant part that the taxes were all levied by authorities to which the colonists had no say. It was a not insignificant part. Right. You know, but yeah, they did say that was a huge part of it, right? You know, I mean, they, they weren't typically complaining about the levies. They were complaining about the principal of it and the way that the principle worked out. And then that last part, I guess, that you know, government uh, government had, I mean, it had no restraints what the what the government can do, and certainly uh, the powers of the individual over other individuals, which were as blessed by the state, not just like, for example, slavery, but the uh, degree to which uh, ordinary people could kind of meddle in other people's uh, lives without consequence. I mean, freedom of speech, for example. I mean, the idea that there was such a a, a thing in a fashion that we were able to to really count on it. Um, you know although I will say sometimes I do derive some satisfaction I think about how crazy uh, politics is now you know you look back at the the kind of things that people read in political uh, newspapers back in you know 1780s I not mean, you know <laughs> it, was, it was pretty rowdy man I mean it was honestly,
0: politics hasn't really changed that much when you look at it we have different mediums to discuss this thing and it maybe feels more pressing and oppressive, maybe yeah. it's more in your in your face than it may have been 250 years ago but these fights the nastiness of it that's not anything new yeah any that
1: way. i will say yeah in fact it seems like there was this period i mean i'm you know i don't presume to be an expert on media history but for what no, i've been able to neither, claim, neither mind. yeah it seems to be the case that sometime the uh, i guess you know 19 like around world war ii uh, uh, media, uh, the centralization of media as such, I mean, not by, as far as I can tell, some central plan, but just the yep. economics of it, um, was such that, you know, then you had things like fairness doctrine, I guess, but the economics of it were such that and you'd have these big, uh, large... Uh, uh, media institutions that all uh, followed a, a certain kind of path, and and you had a lot of I guess local uh, newspapers, all for whatever reason, local media that for whatever reason, for example, would do things like refuse to report on JFK's affairs. I mean, not because the Kennedy administration had a gun there; just a cultural thing. It just seemed like for a very for a period of time, a few decades, like maybe 40 years, the news media was really. Something different, I guess, than the ordinary, which is a lot closer to today. It seems like.
2: I, I wonder if that's if that's more the audience has changed, or maybe we're more comfortable with those types of subjects. Right? It's a it's a weird. It is there is a weird shift in the media. You know, you had you know up until like you said around World War II, you had the the kind of the respectable media, or at least the perception of respectable media. When in reality, they were covering up a lot of things.
1: Well, I'm I'm saying something slightly different, which is that for a period between World War II and I don't know when it ended, but you know, for a few maybe the eighties, yeah, maybe so, yeah, really, was, there was a lot mm-hmm. of that that respect and belief. But prior to that, it was like uh, what uh, uh, people were people were pretty vicious. I mean, uh, you know, the, uh,
2: Listen, the founding um, fathers would would write anonymously to newsletters calling each other horrifically awful yeah, things. Right? I think. I I, I looked up something I I once read about one of them calling the other a hermaphroditical character, like, you know, things that just, just really nasty at each other. And One of the things I did want to bring up with you today was talking about just how we've gotten, our politics feels like it's much more vitriolic than it has been in the past. And I I wonder what you think of the role, because you, obviously you kind of, um, you know, you've built up an audience in the social media era, you've kind of, you've seen a lot of this. And one of the things I appreciate about you is that you've kind of, you, you haven't let the doomerism or the, the hate kind of seep in that feels like so many influencers have, have let happen. So I'm kind of wondering, what's your perspective on that? Why have you been able to avoid it? Why has, why, why is it so seeming so prevalent? Well, I
1: will say that I think a huge reason why I have been able to avoid it is that this is just something I do for fun, and it's not really a job, Man, I don't really make any money off oh, it. Oh,
0: you're not getting paid um, by Elon Musk?
1: So uh, didn't uh, that. I, I, I did actually just register for the um, monetization thing because they sent an email saying, hey, you're accruing revenue. You're leaving it on the table. I was like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I'm accruing revenue. But uh, I was thinking, I don't think so, though, because my engagement – lately. It's just been terrible. So I don't think I'm actually, but the email said, you've, you're, there's revenue that is accruing, not just potential, but, um, and I checked and it was like, what is this? This is, you, you lie. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a goose egg here from Elon Musk. You got
0: to wait till the next interval, not to get, all- oh, oh, okay. but they give it, they right, drop right. it in intervals. And so the next okay. interval, you're going to get more than and other people will. Okay. All yeah.
1: right. Well, that's not, well,
0: I'm excited. Thank you. Yeah, there you but
1: go. you know, I mean, it's like, it's relative still. So, uh, this is not like you gotta be um who's that guy, um guy from Malaysia who's always
2: oh in the end yes yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: yes. And uh yeah, he was posting, oh I get ten thousand dollars a month off of uh Twitter or X, you yeah, know, as, as yep. it's called. Yeah. You know, the name that will never quite stick. It's um
2: it feels like such an incentive for, for disinformation, yeah. for, well, it, for exactly it the type before. of bad content I that I worry, you know, you worry about.
1: It was always, I think it was always, I think that was always sure. kind of there. Like the, the difference I think now is I guess the monetization is much more direct. Whereas previously Twitter was like a thing that there, the incentive was the dopamine hit immediately. Yep. And then also the, um, you know, you could then take people and say, Hey, uh, come do my thing where you give me money. Or come, you know, go to this website to just give me money or whatever. Now, I guess Twitter can be the money. I don't know how much that changes. I'm sure it changes it somewhat because, like people have said, there's a lot more Facebook type content on Twitter now. But definitely, definitely.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, and, and well that, okay, so. It, you know, the the algorithms I think are a big part of the reason why. I mean it's like it's you're, tra- you're, yeah, you, it's get, just- you get you get incentivized by being in many cases yeah. uh, by spreading misinformation, by being really bombastic and by being really yeah. controversial. And I think that's an incentive, but are you saying your reason that you have
1: not fallen into the trap is because you just don't give a shit? Is that what well, you're uh, well, I mean, because you know, I, I, I'm not saying it because I'm a good person. I'm saying because yeah. you know, I have a day job, and this is something I do for fun, you know. I and do. I mean, if it were my job, I think I'd feel very different. Yeah. Because, uh, well, I, I, of course, think that I would be not like other girls, of course. But you know, I think the incentives would be very different because at that point, you know, unless you have cultivated an audience where it's like, no, we are the opposite of that, you know, which is something you can do. You know, I mean, hopefully, it's something like you guys are trying to do. Sure. You know, but. For the most part, though, I think it's um, it's uh, it is a little tougher, I think, uh, perhaps because it is so um, it is just so easy to just kind yeah. of focus on like just I need to just like engineer this to be as compelling as possible. And I mean, nobody's going to check. Nobody really cares if it's true or not. If it really kind of matches up and lines up. I mean, most people. Are, I mean, it's got to be really egregious before the profit and right. loss is you know of like lying or just making something up or whatever um so i mean that is there i don't i mean it's and that's tough to deal with because it can come across like you're saying well uh that just means the people are not interested in our arguments and there is um i don't think i'd be saying that i think there's also a sense among um I guess, establishmentarian types, which I would call myself. I'm not calling y'all that, but people who are like, uh, no, things, that, you know, we're a lot of good stuff going on I and mean, we should change some things, but we shouldn't yeah. throw the whole, uh, you know, we shouldn't, shouldn't burn it all down and start over. Um, I, I think there is a, uh, I listened to this great talk the other day where uh, the fellow said, he's um, this British politician whose name escapes me. I, well, I'll, uh, I'll look him up later, but. He uh, was saying that liberals uh, sort of lost some of the uh, fire in the belly uh, belief uh, energy to defend their own ideas, which there may be something too. you know, when they're not challenged for for a long time, when they're accepted, you know, suddenly somebody, uh, suddenly a movement comes out to just kind of thrash everything. It can become, it can be hard to uh, meet it on its own terms. So I think there's also some of that. There's uh, I think the I think the pendulum is swinging the other way. People are sort of wising up to to the uh, scope of the of the challenge to free societies and are kind of changing their tactics. But at least yeah. for one time, you know, it's tough.
0: I think you're you're speaking to something that both Jonathan and I think about a lot. Right. Is in a way we. It, I don't know how it feels to you, but at least to me, being in, you know from my perspective, watching all this play out over the last decade to decade and a half, mm-hmm. it feels like that kind of liberal world order had it's been on a pedestal for so long in the twentieth 20th, mm-hmm. 20th century. In my childhood, growing up, it has been it has really been challenged and knocked right. down by extremists, and not even extremists just on the right, like a lot of people in the Democratic Party say it's just the Republicans, but yeah. it's, it's also extremists on the left. It's like yeah. some really radical. Um, far left individuals that are challenging that within the DNC, They're, they have less influence. Obviously, the, the GOP is completely run by these populists and these anti uh, these illiberal individuals. But it feels to me like um, somebody has to go to war with them,
1: yeah.
0: and, and 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 again, change the tactics. You can't expect to fight for liberalism through these. Old, you've got to really think about new ways to address these narratives, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what we're trying to do with this project. Yeah. is really fight them on on their own turf, but. It, you know, like, turn that logic against them in a way that, um, think, that resonates with people.
2: I think that one of the easiest traps a political movement, philosophy, whatever can fall into is this idea that, well, we are morally correct, so we right. don't need to argue. We don't need to defend yeah. what we believe because, well, we're right. we're we're mm-hmm. we're superior, we're better than them. we're we're morally correct and morally mm-hmm. justified. So we don't need to defend our defend our views. And I think that this happens on the left and the right. But I think mm-hmm. recently, the left has certainly kind of fallen more into it. Others on the right, it seems like they've kind of gone the opposite way where where they're like, We're fine with being the immoral people, right? When you call us immoral, you call us a well, we'll own that title, right? Yeah, they've kind of got the opposite, the reverse mirror image uh problem with it right now. And I think Mm -hmm. that I think that there is an appetite for something other than those two things for a rigorous discussion of ideas. Um, like I'm curious.
0: Twitter isn't real life. The vast majority of people actually really resonate with the ideas that I think we all kind of collectively share here. And they let these extreme voices in our media and our social media like define the
1: narrative, and it really pisses me off. (laughs) I think you're right, although I would say one of the things to be concerned about in the future is that it does feel like one drop at a time, Twitter is leaking into real life. But for the time being, I agree, Twitter is not real life.
0: Well, and when I say that, I mean the vast majority of people yeah. aren't really paying attention to what's going on in Twitter. Twitter does have a real-life impact, I mean, it's arguable that without Twitter, Donald Trump may not have even won the 2016 yeah. presidential election, and this never would have happened. But it's like I, I'm sick and tired of seeing the extreme voices monopolize the conversation, and no one really, mm-hmm. truly uh, challenging that, as Jonathan mentioned a second ago, um, yeah. on the liberal side, which I think you guys at, at the Neoliberal Project are actually doing very well. Or not you guys, but yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. The crew there.
1: Yeah, I I, I like how they you know they were sort of early on. I think or, um, you know in their own way, uh, just sort of like okay, how do we deal with these sort of uh, attacks from the left all the time? And it's a lot of it was sort of uh, respond tongue in cheek, you know. A lot, in fact, some of the some similar tactics, although different from from them, you know, like the idea of using ridicule as a tactic, for example, um, but not in a way that is quite so just like you know, terrible. Yeah, um, but in ways that are still nevertheless, you know. Uh, uh you know there is some real utility there in the sense of um of uh of highlighting bad ideas you know uh but also hopefully in ways that don't make you feel like gross afterward yeah. so there's there's a uh, and they they've uh, done a lot of interesting stuff there so again i don't i don't presume to speak for them but i do really i do really admire the work that they've done for you know basically i mean they,
0: they created that. the dark brandon meme they put yeah. that on. <laughs> <laughs> they can at least put that on their yes. rest. yeah. That's that a alone is, is hilarious to me.
2: Whoever who I, I you know whoever got Brian, Biden to actually buy into that is was right. I don't know who who Martin had that Dino. conversation, but hey, yeah. listen, uh, you know that that was a, a slight miracle in and of itself. No, it, what, it, one one it, thing I did want to ask you is where do you see the differences between kind of neoliberalism and classical liberalism? Kind of how you you know where is the dividing line? What do you think? I have my opinions on where the dividing line is, but I'm curious where you, what do you think.
1: uh Well, I would guess first uh probably the Federal Reserve, which I don't quite know. um I, I wouldn't presume to be an expert, on it, but it, it does seem like many libertarians are very, you know, quite. Okay. Uh, it is. I shouldn't say libertarians because I know that's a well, like even today's libertarian, term means a lot. But yeah, it's, it's saying, a, not even classical liberal. Yeah it, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, but but uh, you know, there are a lot of folks who would. Uh, uh, I'd say liberty oriented. If we look at an institution like that and say just like, look, I don't care whether it has, you know, whether you're saying it leaves us better off. I mean, that's a that is a ridiculous use of state power. not even democratic. I mean, it's uh and it, it's vested with incredible authority, you know, to to regulate the economy in ways that are just vast, far reaching. Uh, to which I would say, I mean, probably, yeah, you know, hey, but same time um, you know we've seen the alternatives and uh, the alternatives are just uh, not great so uh you know we live here in the United States and what is still I would argue free society in the world and uh you know we to figure out how to roll back state power but if uh you know if a central bank of some sort is necessary um I would I, I, you know I wouldn't presume to be an expert but it seems to be the case then is what it is but I think maybe even the bigger one um and I don't say that's that's not just the issue, although I single it out because it does really seem to drive a lot of uh, a lot of feeling. Um, it's just the example of like, you know, what I just said. I mean, what I imagine strike many people is just unprincipled nonsense. But at the same time, I mean, you know, you deal with the world as it is. And, uh, you know, utopia uh, seems to be very far away. But, you know, we can think about ways, uh, you know, how to make the government more accountable, how to get the government uh, less involved in the economy without... You know, going, uh, going uh, uh, full tilt in the name of principles. So that's one thing. Uh, maybe a bigger issue, it's, uh, I'm not sure if it would be bigger or not. Many people really do seem to be animated by the Federal Reserve, but maybe a bigger issue would be the military, um, which, uh, you know, I guess over the last year and a half, I just really, ever since the Russian invasion, I mean, I, I really have uh, had nothing uh, nothing but uh, good things to say about, uh, you know, American Uh, commitment to national defense, but many people would quite rightly, uh, uh, well, not just national defense, but, you know, defense of international order. Many people, though, would say, you know, one, that's, it's military, maybe the government's business, but uh, uh, maybe one of the few things we'd argue the government should do, but, uh, you know, this isn't an empire, you know, this isn't, uh, this is not what the founding fathers uh, envisioned. Uh, This is not, Necessary for a free society. In fact, this is deleterious to a free society. Have created a sort of, uh, you know, a military that is uh, uh, itself uh, too enmeshed in civil government. Uh, You know, I'm not to be silly, but, you know, folks talking about, you know, the woke military, but other folks who are sometimes, I mean, uh, you know, concerned about the prospect of, say, you know, military uh, getting involved in politics at a high level, uh, you know, I don't want to speak out of turn, uh, but uh, people who uh, are concerned that um, and the military just has too much influence in political life, uh, you know, okay, and of course, who are concerned about the fact that the military was also engaged in two wars, that uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq, that uh, you know, caused immense uh, human suffering with uh, arguably little to show for it. Uh, and which you know, I mean, I, I would imagine the greatest sin of uh, in both of those cases is that uh, it doesn't feel like we won. I think that's what most people are upset about, but in any event, the uh, you know, those are those are things to really be upset about, to which I'm or to be concerned about, to which I typically would say, yes, I I uh share your sentiments, but at the same time, I'm you know, we are the only democracy in the world capable of defending itself in a real way, I suppose, other than maybe India, although it never seems to get better of its exchanges with China. But, um, you know, the only democracy in the world, eh, maybe France, too. And I'm being a little expansive here, but, very, very, very. you know, one of the only democracies in the world capable of defending itself, and certainly the only one capable of defending others. And, you that's a good thing a freer world uh, a world where free societies have greater security uh, can collaborate can work together uh, can um, you know, trade uh, freely uninterrupted can speak freely uninterrupted without fear of violent retaliation from foreign states uh, I mean these are these are good things and unfortunately uh, because our uh, rivals are so tenacious, sometimes we get to spend uh, you know, upwards of nearly a trillion dollars a year on defense because they're spending, they hide their budgets in different ways. We are, a lot of that trillion, for example, is retirement medical care for our men and women in our forces, but you know, they don't. Uh, maybe they're not doing that in Russia and China, but um, you know, the fact is they're spending a lot. They are sophisticated rivals. We have to keep up because at the end of the day, I mean, this is existential stuff. Uh, so... We want freedom to endure. We have to make those investments and recognize the political risks, uh, while at less also recognize the necessity. Prime square those; those are two big differences, I would imagine.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. And we, a lot of the things that you describe, I see as more characteristics of kind of like um, anarcho capitalists or you know boilerplate libertarian thought. Mm-hmm. Whereas classical liberalism, I think, is a subset of the liberal, um, the libertarian umbrella. But the word mm-hmm. libertarian is becoming to mean something. Yeah. very different at least it feels like in the last couple of years jonathan has an interesting way that he articulates the difference between mm-hmm. the two and i i'm i am interested i, I want to hear jonathan's chime in on this I but mean, I, I, I yeah i was gonna say one of the things that i think personally i see as the major difference and maybe jonathan this is kind of what you're going i might screw this up but like i feel like neoliberals are a lot more ontological they're like focused with reality and like what's the real outcomes Whereas I feel like classical liberals and even libertarians to some degree are the opposite in the sense that they're more like deontological, they're more focused on like ideas and ethics and values. And like the the outcomes are kind of secondary to that. They put those things in different priorities. So I I think there's a lot more to it to unpack, but uh, Jonathan, I know I cut you off.
2: (laughs) No, I think I, I, I was trying to remember exactly how I put it to the, to you the other day, but I do think that that classical liberals put the, put the outcome of freedom first. And I think neoliberals try to balance that out with, with, with uh economic or or uh, other concerns right mm-hmm. i think the classical liberals are a little bit more focused on that on that on that central idea of that freedom is freedom is what is what is to be valued and aimed for yeah. um where economics is a, is an outcome good you know <clears throat> prosperity and 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 um um development are yeah. are an outcome of the yeah. freedom whereas i think that I think that sometimes neoliberals kind of switch that order and they say, okay, we need yeah. to achieve economic liberty or economic, you know, economic success uh, yeah. leading to more, li- leading, leading to more liberty.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there are a lot of people who are quite willing to throw out really old principles, uh, more, most of them, at least if they say, you know, like here's a graph that shows that you know, here's some good outcomes. So yeah. just, you know, that just is what it is. And as uh, Margaret Thatcher would say, there is no alternative. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm definitely big uh, Margaret Thatcher fans. I'm not, not, uh, yeah, no, it's one of the, I don't, I feel like significantly. Another reason I try and, uh, try and, uh, spell out that I don't speak for the neoliberal project is I feel significantly to the right, I think, sometimes. Of, sure. Uh, of my, uh, my good, uh, uh, my good friends over there. But it's, um, it's, uh, I think you put it well. I guess I will only say this, uh, Josh, I, and, 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 you, John, as well. As I, I have the, uh, I feel like I agree with uh, the idea of freedom is an end in itself to be bound for its own sure. sake and that the outcomes really should be secondary. Um, I, if I suppose if I have my way, I might have a different society in some ways than the one I advocate. I, I don't know that if I had my way, I would, because I, I guess I like some of the things. Maybe it's, it's worth it to me. I don't know. I'd have to think about the specifics here. But generally, I'm, I might, you know, I might, might feel that way too. I just... I get the sense that, uh, you know, if we had uh, sustained inflation for say four years or eight years, uh, we would get uh, some pretty terrifying government that would have no interest in liberty of any sort. And so if there are ways we can restrain this stuff, I mean, you know, we've we've got to think about it in the sense of not trying to just ensure better outcomes, but because I think largely, Maybe this is the difference those better outcomes are essential to any hope of making decisions based on principle rather than on uh, you know anything else because once when, when folks feel like they're you know and uh, folks feel like they're hungry whether it's, I mean, it's right or not, right, you know, whether it's yeah. justified or not. I mean, because, you know, what the people of Germany say in 1930, I mean, it's not like these people were living in a third world country. They were still in the most, one of the most developed countries in the world, but they still had that uh, myth and uh, I shouldn't say myth because it did have some economic problems, but myth of, uh, of uh, just being kind of downtrodden, yeah. you know, right. and just like crushed by the world. Even, no it was not true. You know, life in the, uh, life in the Weimar Republic, where all of its uh, problems was not not as so bad as as uh, people will sometimes uh, uh, say, but the fact is, it doesn't it, it? almost doesn't matter sometimes because if people feel like you know they've lost something, they feel like they've lost economic uh, opportunity or uh, any of that. I mean that it, it seems like folks are just all too quick to say, yeah, you know what, freedom's nice, but. Uh,
2: I, know, I, I love that you home. kind of are bringing this topic up because this was something I did want to bring up as well. Was that we live in a time of, of unparalleled prosperity, not just in the world, but in America itself. You can look at the data. You know, i like people talk about the disappearing middle class. It's like, yeah. guys, that's a good thing. They're disappearing into the upper class, guys. Like, like, yes, the, the lower income, that's not that's not moving up into the middle class as fast as we would lo- like to see. Don't get me wrong. And 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 I don't mean to say this in a way that that this you know dismisses just, people's right. real world concerns and real world issues. They, there are many people struggling in America, in all over the place. Let's not let's not dismiss that. But as a whole, the human race, Americans themselves, we've never been better off, and yet we don't realize it. We don't we it, you know the perspective that we have has really I don't know how are we all comparing ourselves to the Kardashians and we aren't successful unless we reach that level. You know what can we do? Because I feel like that's one of the things that we. Project Liberal are trying to, to work on is this countering this doomerism yeah. Yeah. that's really dangerous. It's a very dangerous thing. I think oh, that it, it Trump was kind of an outflow of that, and Trump yeah. was a, a buffoon who didn't actually know how to get anything done. If if he, he wasn't buffoon, worse. right, right, exactly. Yeah. So, but like, what what does, what if somebody comes along that can tap into that doomerist yeah. I- energy that is really truly threatening to you know the, just the American way yeah. of life, the liberal you know, order that we have in this country. How do we fight that, just kind of that doomerism that seems to just be everywhere right now?
1: Well, I will say one thing. It is very essentially important to ensure that uh, our, our rivals overseas are not able to create uh, a sense of uh, feeling of inevitability that comes by, uh, uh, for example, being able to conquer uh, countries and destroy democracies without consequence. Because I mean, one of the things that powered the Feeling uh, feelings that uh, democracy's time had uh, come and gone in the United States in the 1930s was this feeling that oh yes these are the societies of the future and they uh, uh, they show that uh, actually all of our values are nonsense and you because, know what's really crazy you know, Warren that's, that's one important
0: that's what's happening now with the rise of Russia and China and effectively yeah. right I mean it's the same kind of thing it's like this idea that these 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 pseudo fascist yeah. these, these, mm-hmm. these these massive authoritarian governments can somehow rival us yeah
1: it's a, now. Yeah, it's very true. Now, we are fortunate, I would say, in our time that our rivals are, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Russia, which is, uh, you know, I think we'll all probably live to see uh, Russia's final act, whenever that may be. It's not, yeah. uh, it's, it doesn't have a good future no matter what happens. I mean, I'm not saying I wish anybody ill. It just seems uh, to be d- the case. D- d- Russia, not, Russia and China ending.
2: are demographically fucked. Well, yeah.
1: I will say this. I don't know as much about, uh, about uh, China. It does seem like a bad picture demographically. But it also just seems... Uh, somewhat, it, it doesn't...
2: They're going to I mean, be under China a billion people by the end of the century. That, yeah. Think about yeah. it. That's, that's going to be... That is that is a recipe for a disaster. Yeah. It's, it's and you worry good. about how that yeah. plays out. But go yeah. go ahead. I'll let you speak.
1: Well, I would only say that... Um, I I don't know. Maybe I should. Maybe this is just my own bias. I, I don't get the sense of the same raw, just hopelessness of Russia in China. I mean, China seems China. China. seems like uh, this is a country that is has achieved a lot in the last few decades right. not by means we would like i mean some by means we would like and certainly others not but you know it's you know and then some advance some development many people have been pulled out of poverty there I have been real achievements there. i'm not saying it's because of communism but right it, there's been achievements there russia has just been one tragedy after the next for a very long
0: time i mean yeah if, if, so not only... it's sad it's sad because <laughs> that's
1: you know that's one thing is that our our rivals are not um uh the, the uh, German economy, in, in, uh, after the Nazis took over, it was fascinating. To say, just they, just they, they just juiced it uh, as uh, fast as they could on the assumption that you know we're going to have a war, and then we're going to have to pillage uh, to keep this this fire going. You know, um, so when they they annexed Czechoslovakia, for example, first thing they did was seize the uh, uh, you know seize as much gold as they could. And try and remedy their economic situation, but anyway, so they back then they were they were really it wasn't too much better, I suppose. But Russia, you really got to be uh, it seems only like the most deranged or really looking at Russia and saying, Oh, yes, that is a model that I would like to emulate. And China, uh, though this is not an honest and, and good way to judge future societies, China seems to have something in common with the, the fascist power of the 1930s, uh, that uh you know, nobody was really looking at as a model for the future and in the West, which is Japan. And that's something in common is that they, you know, it's not a, a country, you know, European extraction. And so our right wing fanatics don't look at it as a model to emulate for the most part, because, you know, that, that seems to be the only real reason to me otherwise hmm. it's just uh, every so often you'll hear somebody who does, you know, like a a Sorab Amari, for example, who will post something, uh, you know about uh, uh, this is why China is in the coming in the future or whatever, but for the most part, no. Uh, China is universally held as a as a threat, um, and I got to say, it seems to be that it's uh, you know just uh, I don't think anybody's looking at that as a trad life, and that seems to be the only. You know, yeah. Know, as somebody
2: uh, who spent, as somebody who had a year or two where I ran, went ran through Russian literature, you know Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, There is a there, like we talk about doomerism in America. Russia has a perpetual doomerism yeah, so that is wild to me. I don't I don't right. understand it. Maybe it's just having to live so far so far north. But then again, yeah. Canadians don't feel that way, right? Yeah, I mean Russia
1: is, it's so yeah. There's it's, no reason it had to be that way. Right. right? Exactly. So not, but I think I China
2: know. China has a different a very different mentality. And they also with China, they they've they've kind of they've liberalized their economy enough. To a point where they have increased, they have decreased poverty quite a bit. Whereas yeah. Russia, over the past twenty years, has really gone the opposite way. Yeah. Almost two thirds of it's like sixty percent of Russians depend on the state either through the, by being directly employed by the state or by their uh, welfare system or or um, or any other by other means. They all depend on the state for their income. So yeah. that that wild. right there tells you how like that that they may the government may not directly control the economy. They control the economy.
1: Yeah, it's wild, and it's it's just it's it's just it's unreal. Like how just what a different league they are really in. Like I, I you know, do you think about it sometimes? How insane is it really? Like, you ever you ever bought something that was made in Russia? You know, if you ever? When's the last time you saw a Russian restaurant?
0: I mean, I mean hey, it's very. It was- there, there was russian caviar? vodka on the on the yeah. shelf until yeah. be... there
1: was the, the one thing that we could all think of right yeah. now that thing is now you that's gone and can't even not find like it zone, right? yeah. it's like that and caviar and it's not i'm not saying this because this is a culture, like a cultural argument I'm Saying this because it just is wild that this huge part of mankind in this country uh, part of mankind is a part of, of uh, you know Europe. Massive
2: natural resources. Massive yeah.
1: natural resources that, you know, there's no reason that this, and also massive immigration from this country to the United States yep. for decades. But of course, most of that immigration was people fleeing. So it's a little, you know, I suppose it's a little different. It's just, it is just wild that by comparison China, which um, certainly we've had a, a, a fraught relationship with at times in the past, and which uh, uh, you know, this country has had a long history of uh, of uh, you know, racial difficulties as well. But nevertheless, Chinese culture—we well, all know uh, uh, Chinese culture at some base level. Have all yes. participated yes. in in some base level? Our houses are full of goods made in China. Many of which I mean, they get better each year. I mean, they're not, yes. not always great, but they're you know, which are quite good. So it's just wild that like. Here's the difference. This country that was just mired in just the most grinding poverty until basically our lifetimes. And then Russia, which has been a Mm. highly developed country for quite a while. And it's just still just mired in just shit. It is so tragic. It's unbelievably tragic. And it's just like their future compared even to China. It just seems like there is just no no future for a country like that in a world where demographics are generally already, you know, populations are already going to be, uh, you know, slowing I think down. it's like
2: 6 million people have left Russia in the yeah. past decade. Just just, so you yes. know,
1: some, not trying yeah. to celebrate this because, I mean, you no. know, there's going to be a world after the war in Ukraine and all that, of course, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not great. But that said, uh, to your original question about tumorism, um, I think one thing is important. It's just a... Talk about stuff like that. It's like, look, you know, you you want to talk about the United States, it's fine. But if you're gonna go parading another model, okay, well, we need to have a talk. That's one thing. But more than that, I think, um, you know, uh it seems like uh we need folks to be a little more aggressive about promoting the the values and virtues of our own society, not just in the sense of saying, you know, kind of, hey, look, everything's pretty good as it is, but also talking about uh, why giving yep. a little more uh, historical context to it, really creating an emotional sort of uh, connection to it. Because it seems like we're in a, an age of, I guess, romanticism, you know, where people are really looking for that emotional argument rather than just the rational argument. And that, uh, you know, we, we've had that before. And, uh, you know, this country, uh, uh, this country thrived in that era. And that was a pretty insane era. That's basically the period prior to the Civil War. But, you know. At, uh, as, uh, you know, but there was a lot, there was just a huge, bur- like, uh, to to explain why I think this is something to think about, for example, religiosity in this country, which many people decry the loss of, yeah. it exploded during this period of time, not because, uh, you know, religiosity is some fixed quantity that started at 100 at the time of Jesus, and it's just only a <laughs> down since. Yeah. And, 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 Blossomed during this period of time. People founded new churches, discovered uh, old churches again. Uh, They formed uh, new community groups where there hadn't been any, uh, engaged a lot of civic activity, a lot of civic ritual that we participate in dates back to that time. It wasn't just something that George Washington decreed from on high, it arose
2: organically.
1: Um, And uh, I think it's because there was a real sense of spirit and values and that stuff, uh, people have to, people have to generate that organically. It's not going to come from the top down anymore than it ever has.
0: And the United States remains a very religious country relative to some of its counterparts, um, and more religious relevant, relevant uh, relative to a lot of these countries that these national conservatives yeah. idolize. I, I, think we,
2: I think our church attendance is through the roof compared to Hungary, which is now the conservative, yeah, and
0: yet you know. and yet we are we are a very you know we are tr- we truly have a secular government. I mean, when it when it comes to you know how it approaches these issues, and uh, it, it it doesn't stifle religiosity to interpret that. Well,
1: I think there are a lot of folks who um, I sometimes wonder how much um, how much belief uh, some folks really have in their own, Bullshit. Uh, you know, because you would think, yeah. I mean, even if you, a lot of those folks will say, well, the U.S. numbers are juiced. It's like, okay, hey, still, that doesn't change the fact that even if you cut them in half, it's still go outside. I don't
2: know how. I'm in, say, the, yeah. I'm in the Bible Belt South. Like, right. come on, guys. Yeah, this this about me that we're not real. very religious. Like, right. come on. Go to so,
1: and they're talking about these. They're talking about them in comparison to these ex-communist countries that just, I mean, they've had just the uh, they crush out of them, and then they step into our own time where it just. Uh, you know, fates have sort of fallen. I guess somewhat out of fashion, and so it's like between the the uh, and these are European countries that dealt with World War One, World War Two. You know, just real raw crises that we as Americans just don't really have. Uh, yeah, you
2: know, no. don't
1: have an analog for. I mean, we just don't like uh, that's a continent of people that either were Nazi occupiers or were occupied by Nazis, and they just we just don't have anything like no. that. Or, you know, not not only were you, for, you
2: know, not only did. The- were you occupied by the Nazis, then half of the continent was then occupied by the Soviets. Yeah, yeah.
1: And then you get that. And some places, I mean, you millions of people got both. And it's just like, yeah. well, so, you know, so then these places, I mean, they're trying, I guess, to, uh, to uh, uh, you know, Hungary uh, is trying to be this, uh, I guess, trad outpost of illiberal democracy, as Victor Orban calls it. Um, You know, it's just wild to me to hear Americans say, "Yes, this is the country of the future." With the same sort of voice of a socialist talking about Cuba, you know, oh boy, like the paradise of Cuba. Right. Right. That's a great
2: correlation. That's. I mean.
1: Yeah. And what the other thing I don't get is those folks that never goes anywhere. It's not like it's not like uh, it's not like the uh, fair play for Cuba, Kennedy. It's not like we're going to copy their constitution and
2: replace ours, right? Yeah,
1: and it's just I I think there's some. There's some idea on the far right that the left has all this power and they've just conquered all our institutions. And as a result, we need to start using the force of the state to unwind that power because otherwise we're never going to be able to. And that's why we need to look at a country like Hungary. And it's like, one, that's totally just not a, a, a comparable example in any way. But two, you're kind of looking at the issue the wrong way. Like, if people are losing faith in religion. It's not because the government's pushing them away from. it. That's right, and it's not because uh, it's not because the left has uh, succeeded in convincing people that, uh, uh, boy oh boy, it's a lot more fun to believe that when you die nothing happens. You know, it's like no, it's 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 probably because for the last forty years we've had more involvement of uh, church in the state, or at least attempts at such involvement. Churches have become politicized. religion has become politicized and as a result uh, you know people living in the here and now are much uh, quicker to decide, you know, look, I don't want to be involved in this uh, institution. It gives me vibes of this, uh, uh, these politics I don't like, you know
0: I mean, it- the, the quickest way to destroy credibility of religious institutions is to is to um, uh, legislate, the morals of those
1: institutions yeah. and have those kind of things enforced yeah. violently. Yeah. And then yeah. and then what do you get? If you succeed, you get England where, yeah, the church has seats in parliament that mean nothing. And a, a church that itself is dying, which will only, ever, I mean, I'm not wishing harm on the church of England. I, you know, I wish them all the best, but it's like, you know, if you want to look at what an established church is, well, that's the church of England, a church which maintains some constitutional, you know, the, view their system as having a constitution we of course in america know better but <laughs> sure. they they uh you know they, yeah this church has constitutional authorities uh, uh some constitutional authority it will always exist in some sense because it's uh it is a creature of the state uh, the monarch is the supreme governor and all that but in terms of a real vital institution like vitality uh, it's just seeping away and uh I don't wish that to happen for them. I'm just saying
2: that's you
1: know, that's what your established church is. It's not good for folks who really want I, to, oh, a vibrant
2: religious life. Many many of my ancestors, both pilgrims and Huguenots, they fled established religion to practice their own religion. They came yeah. to America uh, to be able to practice their own religion away from those established religions that now are apparently the, the you know the the standard by which we should look at. It seems to me that we we tell ourselves a lot of these narratives, both kind of as institutions as as stories, and we I feel like one of the narratives that's very important, even though it, it's twisted, it's it's true, it's false. Like there's some true aspects, false aspects. Is just kind of the 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 American dream? We don't know what that means anymore. We don't know what that you know that didn't mean everyone came here and got rich, right? It, it meant that people could be able to build a life for themselves. Yeah, that's still here. We still have that. But how yeah. do we, how do we change? Like the, we hear all these other narratives going around about Hungary, about Russia, about all of these, all of these things. How do we start changing these narratives yeah. in our country to promote the positive narratives? Because the yeah. American dream is a positive narrative. It means hey, pick yourselves up and, and and build a life for yourself here. Now that's harder for some people than it is for others, and we yeah. should absolutely be working on all of those things. But it's still it's a positive narrative. How do we? Yeah i, I find it, build those narratives up I,
0: and it, Warren, i am curious as to what you think about that but i just want to add something to that I sure. find it so odd to me because I've spent a lot of time in my my work in the working in the international libertarian movement talking to people from other countries it almost seems like the American dream is more understood by people who aren't Americans now yeah. I don't know if you've had this experience but I've talked to people in like Latin America and even some uh-huh. places in europe and it, they I've, they understand. My entire life
2: concerned. I've worked with immigrants, legal and illegal, and trust me, they know it way better than, than yeah. we do.
0: It's still like a it's still a beacon it's like, I don't think the world hates us as much as the Doomers in the United States believe no. that. No, I mean, no, I mean the,
2: most right. the most America hating people are all Americans.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like when I was Biden, in China, and...
2: when I was in China they said we don't hate you, we hate your government. We love yeah. Americans, we hate the American government.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's hell, I mean, Joe Biden went to uh, Vietnam this week. And uh, you know, it was all he was. Uh, he went up on this uh, this pedestal in front of uh, this big statue of Ho Chi Minh. That previously they only invited other oh. commie other commie uh, leaders to stand up in front of. Him. It's like, you know, it's it is this idea that America, like even in a country like Vietnam, which you know, whatever you think of the war, might have some reasons to dislike the United of States course. government. Yeah, I mean, folks are practical. they in in not. Uh, they're not. Uh, uh, you know. It, it, well, I guess that's a different situation given that maybe not every country has another country next to it like China has been trying to absorb it for the last 2,000 years or so. But in any event, um, uh, I think that is a, a good point, talking about the American dream. Uh, how do people talk about a positive vision? I think that it seems like maybe one of the big differences I find, at least, talking with immigrants and people from other countries who come here and uh, express a sort of appreciation that uh, sometimes Americans don't always... Um, Oh, they just kind of remind me of people who take a lot of self-ownership in their life and who are really excited about the opportunity to be free to do something. Uh, and then they have, they do have an idea of what they want to do. You know, they, like I want to do X, Y, Z. And, you know, and there's not a lot of that. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's the same sense uh, that, that some Americans have of, uh, gosh, I don't know what I, you know, what do I want my life to be about? What is the, what is it that I, you know, we, we have a lot of freedom, and the challenge and the curse of a free society is that you then are left to derive some, you know, find some meaning, find a purpose. What is all of that? You know, it's, it's a little easier. You know, one of the advantages, I suppose, of a country like, say, uh, I don't know, I guess uh, Orban's Hungary or maybe one of these trans societies. I shouldn't speak about Orban's Hungary because I don't know uh, so much about that. But maybe a country like, say, uh, I don't know, uh, the Soviet Union, maybe. Um, you know what? Uh, your values, your purpose—all of that has already been decided. You know, you just decide whether you're in that or you're not. And if you're not, there are some problems. So there's some real incentives to at least mouth it along. You know, just kind of go with the flow. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, there, you know, true believers—if you're a true believer—there's a lot of benefit of to that too. Um, but here in a free society, we have to decide what uh, what our own lives are about, and we have to we have to determine what has meaning. You know we can't have meaning just given top down and that does require a fostering a real sense of uh self-ownership and that can be tough uh, i feel like sometimes because life is so good now that it's quite easy to uh you know put in relatively little and get a lot of enjoyment i mean like uh you know there is endless new content and entertainment for free at any time it's easier than ever to make we're all here doing it right and it's, I think, um, that's a challenge to to get people to kind of really take a sense of self ownership, what it is you want to do with your life rather than just floating with the breeze. And, you know, when your sense of uh, anxiety about life gets too hard, just kind of flip on a new YouTube video and stop thinking about it for a while or game or something. I mean, just, so I guess that's one of the challenges of modernity. You really got to foster a sense of self-ownership because with that, you know, once you're really an active participant in life, then you want to be free of a lot of these things that, that people in other countries are coming here to get away from, to get out from. You know, you want to be free to take an active role in your life rather than this passive sort of identity that says, ah, yes, I need to be shielded from all the forces of the world, all these big, bad corporations. Of course, I love when they give me stuff. I want like, you more product, please. But you know,
0: revenue, you know, no. Yeah, but they're <laughs> trying
1: to manipulate me. They're trying to screw me over. I can't be responsible for my choices. You know, I, my boss is out to get me. Everybody's out to get me. You know, the government's out to screw me over. I just need to be protected. I need to be insulated. I can't can't handle that stuff. No, I mean you start to view things differently from the sense yes. of I have an idea of what I want to do. I'm the author of my own life, and that's why. Hey, you know, I see why maybe some people need some protection. but for me, that's restraint you're getting in the way of what it is want to do because I'm going to create X, Y, or Z. I have an idea for business. I have an idea for a project or a nonprofit or whatever it is you want, a church, like we've just talked about, whatever it is you want to do. I guess the laws are still pretty good for churches, but you know what I mean? I mean you get the idea.
0: and. Warren, you, you said it so well. Um, that, that, is, that is the true dream of a liberal society. And one of the things that I think is the major criticism of liberalism in the modern world is this idea that liberal societies have no purpose. They have no vision, this nationalistic focus. And it feels to many of these like national conservatives and many on the far left, that, like it's unmoored and yeah. it's purposeless. And it's meandering and it doesn't go anywhere. Whereas you look at societies like, you know, China that has this national mission and it's inspiring. But the truth is, you look at the last 300 years, the unmoored, meandering, purpose, seemingly purposeless. Let it be organic. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Organic nature of liberal societies have achieved far more. Yeah. Than any of these societies that have come and gone with these national purposes, and right. it's it's so much more of a powerful force when you understand that way at how it relates back to human action. It goes back to the examples that you just gave that those principles and of themselves create prosperity, create innovation, create the conditions for safety and security. And like those principles are so powerful, and it feels like people have forgotten about that. Yeah, right,
1: but now, they, they also create the the fundamentals for that sense of meaning that that. Yes, sense of the kind of self-ownership that provides meaning. Like, but it's
0: not centrally planned meaning.
1: Right. And you, they think that you can do this kind of top-down. And so there are some examples. I mean, we talk about, uh, I think, uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like uh, I always feel a little more comfortable talking about uh, something of like the Soviet Union. Because uh, it, it's always just like it's so there's so many clearly ridiculous examples of how central planning has failed sure, it, yeah. in practice. And now the same like you know this was so ridiculous. How could it even have been a theory? Although, of course, at the time, you know, nobody had tried to, well, that's not quite fair to say. People tried central planning in the past. But a lot of these ideas were kind of comparatively new. So, you know, hey, whatever. But now it's just so ridiculous. It's easy to, to uh, you know, now you see communists and they, they, they're, think, they're like active degrowthers, you know. Yeah. And it, it's great because, hey, true, this is a philosophy that, you know, it used to be saying this is the faster way to grow. It grew much more slowly, although it did at least to its credit grow. The Soviet Union continued to grow, just much slower. Now, now they're just straight up degrowthers, you know misanthropic uh global warming is the reason we need to, to switch to communism because it will mean uh less human problem. Okay, hey, yeah, whatever. You know? I mean, at
0: least you're being more honest <laughs> with your argument, right,
1: right? But uh well, no, I mean, it used to be the case. I mean, not to I'm not uh you know, I'm, I'm uh, I'd say my anti-communist credentials are clear, but yeah. in terms of human development, you could say, well, you know, um an eastern bloc country, you know, uh, at a certain level of economic development is a better economic alternative than saying uh, a military junta might be you know like there there were you know now it's, it's not uh, a western country but you know it's not like the worst thing you could you could shoot for either uh, that's not you know so you kind of get what i'm saying like you could you could envision in the past i mean hey if you're a country that has no development there are some things you could you could see in this model um but you know that time is gone coming and kind of gone There's a certain level that could, well, i mean for uh, god's really sake though
0: We were in a space race with the USSR, right? I mean, there there was a time where they were real economic. power, And it
1: it seems to be the case that basically once you hit a certain level of economic complexity, which is not all that high, uh, the benefits of central planning, such as they are, are completely gone. They're totally gone. Like Yugoslavia is kind of interesting to look at because this is a country that was basically totally destroyed in the war. And for about 10, uh, about 20 years, they were able to get some real economic growth out of their uh, uh, brand of market socialism. And then it all slowed down and went to hell because at a, at a certain point, it seems to be the case that after you do the very basic stuff, it doesn't work anymore. Mm. But, um, you know, Prices uh, surprise, are surprise. Important. Yes, <laughs> surprise, surprise. It turns out, yes, all of that stuff that, that right. uh, comes with a moderately complex society. But um, you know, so now that's really just not an issue everywhere. Now it's just a disaster everywhere. So it's easy to easy to talk about. But folks don't pay a lot of attention to kind of these right wing utopias that have existed, in part because the ones we're most familiar with were destroyed in an apocalyptic war, right? And so it's easy to be like, yeah, that's obviously a disaster. We don't, you know, Germany. But sometimes I think it's interesting to look at the ones that that uh, the braver among them will praise, like say Francoist Spain or uh, I think Salazar's uh, Portugal. Um, and you know you think this is a country that was not destroyed in a pocket well, I mean, the Spanish Civil War was a disaster, but I mean, the, after that, they didn't have another war. It, it uh, kind of went on for uh, uh, several decades before it finally went belly up with the death of the Generalissimo. And uh, were they able to preserve things? You know, they, the whole uh, this whole uh, uh, movement of the right in Spain, Trying to preserve tradition, fight modernity, you know, create this, uh, uh, you know, return to the past as it were in some ways. And it's more complex than I'm letting on. There were more factions on the right. It was, there were straight fascists, uh, conservatives, uh, traditionalists, all that stuff. A little more complex than letting on. But were they able to at least protect basic conservative stuff like, say, the the integrity of the church, you know, the uh, the dignity of the worker? No. I mean the the church uh, uh, was just shredded by its association with this state to the point where now this is a country that regularly elects full-throated socialist governments where religious faith is uh, certainly much lower than it is in the united states a country which admittedly never has used uh, fascist means well at least rarely i would say i yep. can't think of any examples but you know it doesn't it doesn't regularly use fascist means to defend uh, uh, state churches Yep. Um, You know, it 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 is this country which used to be a much more religious society. I mean, it, it had uh, it, it had the it used to be uh, much uh, less inclined to things like divorce or abortion. Uh, all of this stuff. Spain is now, by every measure, a far more, I would say, at least a more socially progressive country than the United States. More economically progressive country than the United States. And this is a country that had forty years of straight unrequited right-wing dictatorship that was meant to turn the clock back on all this stuff. It just doesn't work because it turns out when you associate all of this stuff with your traditional values, you just, you speed up the process of abandonment. And this is a result of people who are not willing to engage with their ideas in a competitive marketplace. Instead, they, they, they don't have confidence in their own ideas. They think they need to be protected by the full force of the state. And Hey, some ideas do need to be protected by the force of the state, you know, uh, he was singing the praises of the military earlier, but but you know when it comes to, to things that really animate people these days, culture, religion, faith, uh, identity, that stuff, you can impose a tiny bit of a top-down maybe, but for the most part, you have to build that stuff organically. You have to well, convince it, people, persuade yeah. people. And if you don't do that, you know. The, you know,
2: the, the argument I try to make with, with a lot of people who are anti-immigration is that the best way to spread American culture is to let people in. Because no one protects American culture, work ethic, you know, family values more than immigrants. Like that is that is found. And if you want to spread it back to their home countries, this has been shown before that if you, you know, immigrants that come to America, they they send aid back. They let people know about you know back home the prosperity that's in the United States. I wanted to kind of go back a little bit here and talk about people and, and lack of purpose. And I think these are these are problems. Of of modern times, these are these are good problems because you know 100, 200, 300 years ago, you just had to survive. Your goal was to survive. You're you're you know going into the woods, cutting down a forest just so you can plant food, so that you can actually eat. Now we don't have those problems. So, you know, one of the reasons why I think we we've, we've seen some of the rise, especially among young men, some of these influencers, and this is something that I'd, I'd be curious on your thoughts on, is these you know these trying to find a purpose, trying to find meaning in things, and these are extremely important questions. And I think that we as a modern society can actually start to answer them now that we don't have to just plant our own food, you know, um, and 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 deal with, gather the resources ourselves. We can actually create wealth and, and prosperity and have have time to actually even think about these things. I think that, you know, back in the nineties or back in the fifties, the average father, we made a meme uh, the average father worked ninety-seven thousand hours in their lifetime, whereas today that's down to sixty-seven. That is a huge decrease in how much time you have to spend working, and that doesn't even include household chores, which have been almost by a th- cut by a third. Um, so we've got the time to think about these things, and that's you know there are challenges that come up, you know that 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 brings with uh, yeah. or that brings with that. So how do we start to answer these questions, and particularly how do we? especially with young men, young men seem to be the most impacted by kind of this lack of purpose, this lack of, of, of self a sense of self. Like, how do we start to address these questions? That's a really good question.
1: I, difficult uh, I have one. to say it is difficult. It is a little tragic because I was thinking about that the other day. I was thinking, you know, gosh, I had a great dad, you know, mm-hmm. Raised me up, gave me a sense of self worth, a feeling of uh, you know wanting to be an active participant in my own life and all that. I mean, he wasn't—he wasn't really a global person. He just, you well, know, Plinko chips fell the way they did, and he was a, a big part of that. I feel like, and I had you know a lot of a lot of good things to say. Perhaps most importantly, do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. You know, he was very cognizant about like he—I really appreciated that sense of self awareness. You know, so I feel like I had a great time. That's probably got to be the most important thing for a young man. I mean, that—that's the kind of thing, though. It's like, okay, so this, that's great. I—I I chiefly benefited from somebody who happened to be in my life, who I—I I yep. have any control over that. So that doesn't really offer much to a lot of people. It's not like you just go out and get a new dad very easily,
0: you know. And there are very few policies I think you can make to make better. Dad. <laughs> no, I mean, a lot
1: of people think like, uh, gosh, that's the other tragedy. of The National Conservative Project is that there are a lot of folks out there who think that. You know, we're not having kids because it's too expensive. But unfortunately, I mean, that holds up to a few moments of, of really kind of serious thought. I mean, it like every, every other country,
0: country in the world has proven that
1: every people. every country <laughs> that gets rich has fewer kids, and every country that is poor has more. To the point yeah. where the poorest country in the world. I believe it was Niger. It may be, it may not be Niger, uh, Niger. I believe it's actually the correct pronunciation, but it may not be Niger right now. But in any event, it's uh, around there. It has a birth rate of seven or eight children per woman by comparison to one to two in the developed world. And so is it because, you know, do people have higher birth rates because they have a lot of money? It does seem to be the case that at a certain point on the income spectrum, the birth rate does go back up. Once you get to be... I think once you really start to be making, uh, uh, I don't know if it has to be millions of dollars. But I well, think how much does Elon federal... Musk
2: skew that with his kids?
1: Well, <laughs> right, right, right. It, it doesn't, have, as far as I know, it doesn't have to be millions of dollars, but it has to be, I think, at least a few hundred thousand before you suddenly now have the buying power to buy the services of other people to assist in the project of raising children. Yeah. So that to me suggests that the real challenge of our time, when it comes to an issue like this, this is all going to get back to the question of man i promise um i appreciate y'all being so open i'm enjoying it enjoy, it's a great conversation um the uh the, the suggests that the problem is that people really prefer their time uh and they are saying oh, yeah, i would love to have children uh, but it's just so goddamn expensive I said, well maybe but then again it may be the case that actually uh, People have historically had uh, children uh, with much less uh, income, they not historically, still do, still in the United States, still around the world. And whether you think that's a responsible decision or not, in terms of people's human priorities, we imagine other people in the world also have agency. Um, you know, it, it seems to be the case that once you have more money to spend on other things, more free time to do other things with, you suddenly decide, boy, you know, gosh, there are all these other things I'd like to do. You know, I'd like to go on this trip. I'd like to become this that, uh, or whatever. I'd like to work on myself. I'm like, know all of that is, is uh, heckin' cute and valid and good, you know, but the, you know, the, uh, the challenge is that you know, now we're left with the old question of dealing with, what is it that you value? What is your priority? You know, uh, You know, and and instead of that, you know, we kind of get this narrative of, uh, you know, I want to have the I, sort of it's I, I feel like a sort of I want to have my cake and eat it too sort of narrative where it's like, I would love to do that. but It's just so expensive. And that's like, in a sense, yeah, because, you know, you can't afford the uh, the uh, several servants, uh, not servants, but, you know, you can't afford, you can't afford to go on the vacations risk, anymore. Right? But, <laughs> right. Well, you I mean, even if you could, it's the time that's the issue, yeah. right? It's the investment of time right? Because we want, you know, we love our kids. We want to have good kids. We want to make the the time with them count, right? Um, But that does mean that you spend less time on other things. And and that time is the ultimate fixed uh, commodity, right? Even if we eliminate scarcity, we still have to deal with the scarcity of time. And uh, that's a very hard thing to do, it it seems like, in the modern world, until you get to a level of income that suggests, really, uh, there's not a great solution to this problem. Um, and people will do things like they'll, they'll fund health care uh, for, um, uh, uh, or not uh, health they'll fund uh, very generous maternal uh, or parental uh, support benefits. And hey, there may be good reasons to do that for the sake of your values or something. But if you're doing that to increase the population, it just makes a tiny bit of difference. And it, it really doesn't do much of anything at all. Everywhere it seems to been tried and they tried it and, russia and hungary and france and it always seems to have very marginal uh, marginal benefit there's this idea that we can use state power to kind of reverse these negative trends and it seems to be the case that that is just you can't it doesn't seem you to match up sorry. with our revealed preferences you know i mean you can if, if people want more time and not a lot the government can do there um yep.
2: well,
0: uh well hey they can make us all more poor
1: Yeah, try (laughs) that. That That will that will that (laughs) would make a difference. But then again, the other challenge too that makes this such a difficult one to grab They do a
0: great job at that too, by the way. Yeah, Yeah,
1: the other challenge with this is that now this is a problem that isn't just a kind of a rich people, rich country problem, really, because birth control is also very affordable. And and whatever people say about their values and ethics, it's something that they want. They want control over when these momentous things happen. So um, there's just there's just nothing you're going to be able to do with that. And and we have now seen. That um, as you try and restrict access to this sort of stuff, all that happens is people have less sex. So, you know, because it turns out now we are so advanced as a little monkey with our monkey brains that we found things that are often more compelling. Uh, maybe they should or shouldn't be. But, you know, now there are just so many ways to spend your time. Now it is more important than ever that you persuade in in. I think in the past, just we maybe for we maybe don't realize just how much of life was sort of slotted out for us um maybe not in oppressive ways, but just like, you know what else are you gonna do you know i'm 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 thirty you know in uh, in the year nineteen fifty what else am I gonna do with my life? I mean it's not asking kid, what am I going to yeah. do you know there's only uh only three channels and they're all over at nine thirty I mean you know it's just, I gotta you know. <laughs> some point you know now you have the world ahead of you you have to make those choices and that's uh that's tough so that's that's my to say that there's not much that the state can do with these problems i feel like so that gets us to men and that's really tough i think for men because men uh have such a uh they have uh Uh, you know, that that sense of wanting to provide, uh, you know, in a free society, uh, you know, your role as a provider remains important, but in a different way. It's not that you are essential for survival because it's possible for a woman to work and support herself. I shouldn't say possible, like it's a rare thing and it's common. And it's it's not, uh, you're not essential in the sense of, uh, you know, I have to work or, Or we're all going to starve. It's more like I have to work so we can have a good standard of living to do the other things we want to do, like almost vacations or realize some other ambition, you know? Um, But if you're not conscious about that, maybe it just feels like, God, you know, we work these jobs and then we just blow our money on consumer goods that we don't even really want. And that's just the end of it, you know? So so, um, there's a challenge of, I think, again, trying to really facilitate that sense of of self-ownership that without that, I think that a lot of the benefits of our our age uh, can be lost, you know, if you're just kind of buying, like that sense of uh, I'm just buying things it just means nothing. I mean, it's just, yeah, I suppose if you're not really thinking about what it is you really want. To. Make right. you happy if you're just kind of floating from dopamine hip to dopamine hit, that, that is a challenge of our time. It doesn't mean that we're not prosperous. It doesn't mean that we should change uh, uh, what's available to people. Um, but I think in the past it may have been a little easier because so much less was available to
2: people. Yep. Um,
1: uh, and, uh, you know, your it,
2: choices does have its benefits. Right. So I'm yeah. not, not that we should go right. back to it.
1: Right. But so there are, yeah, that's the thing. Like, if you, you don't have, like, have you did you guys hear this? Uh, uh, Shoe on Head is uh, one of my favorite posters, not because I really agree with very much of what she says, but because she's very much a master of her craft that just yeah. knows how to just drive engagement. She's just a master of that. And she posted one recently about, uh, about this study that said that men would prefer electrical shocks to sitting in a room quietly with their own thoughts.
2: I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. You
1: know, and when well, you know, this one, um, I think this one was real, but I mean, you've heard permutations of this for a very long time. And I mean, it's true. It is so goddamn hard to just sit there and just think. What do I want out of my life? Yeah. Is it oh, What is it? What am I? What am I doing? What, have I made the right choices? I mean, heaven forbid if you haven't made all the right choices, because then you got to think about that. Yep. And, uh,
0: it's to follow the dopamine hits, right?
1: right. Yeah. You know, I got to think about mortality. I mean, I only have so many hours in in this world. I gotta make it. How do I make the best use? These are hard questions to grapple with. And I am not sure what, um, what drives people to do it. Because I gotta say, um, sometimes I worry that maybe one of the challenges of our time is that it's just easier to just sort of go on autopilot and just kind of, well,
0: and I, I, have, I think whatever. you're on to something. Cause when I, when I really think mm-hmm. about that, I mean, Sure. Things were, we were less prosperous. We maybe had less in the fifties, for example, Damn. there was, you know, and based on which demographic group we're talking about, yeah. the you know, yeah. yeah. standard American, you know, white male, whatever, it, it, they may have had less, they may have been poor. That drove them in ways to do things like have children, which yeah. have, you know, having children is a very rewarding thing to right. do. It changes yeah. your life it, in yeah. a way. It also get, kind of introduces agency in a, in a indirect way, yeah. but it's like, um, now it well, gives
2: you children give you purpose for exactly. the next eighteen years or for every kid right exactly. so and it helps give but, you that purpose. Whereas now
0: yeah. it's it, I was to say whereas now it's just a lot easier to it, the, the the default state right if you're following the dopamine is to just right. just
1: stick in the matrix. Right. And, you know. But you know what the other challenge with that is though that that things like for example having a child. Like that is uh, what Brian Kaplan did this. Uh, uh, I, I never read it, but I've heard a lot of praise for this book. Um, I think the selfish case for children is something to that. Um, and he says, you know, look, your uh, your children are not necessarily going to make you happier, but your grandchildren certifiably will in a way that benefits your life in such a massive capacity that it is literally in your self interest to have as many kids as you can. That is. Science, if I have proven that that is the way to have the most meaningful life possible, for all, all this and that. I believe that. It. Well, take it for uh, you know, dispute that. I I don't have any reason to dispute that. Um, so just taking that for granted. Keep in mind though, like what a what a leap of faith this is to say. Look, okay, um, I'm gonna have a child, um, and uh, you know, just try and think about this like maybe an ordinary person would. Maybe they wouldn't want to want to concede to to it. Uh, okay. Well, first of all, uh, heaven forbid, my, uh, I'm going to have a healthy child. We're not going to have a child where the rest of my life is going to be defined by their health problems. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's maybe I'll find some meaning in that along the way. But uh, at first, that is a terrifying prospect. Yeah. Okay, so that's one. You know, we're going to have a healthy birth. and are not going to have a, a sort of life changing event that makes. Uh, Makes a, a permanent trauma, a trauma for the rest of my life. That's one. Two. Um, I uh, I guess I've got to decide that I'm at the point where I'm ready to take on an 18-year commitment, right? Uh, you know, I haven't. Now, uh, uh, many people find uh, the idea of uh, commitments for any length of time very, uh, uh, very difficult. Yeah. And now here's one that is not just 18 years. But by the way, increasingly, here's something that probably doesn't help the situation. I imagine it's a big decision driver but i mean the state's role in children if you screw up uh you let your kid walk to walk to school um by themselves then uh, we might arrest you you know i mean it's possible um you know i don't know how much of that really factors into decision making but i'm sure it makes the whole thing over you know, a little, little tougher than otherwise be so you're taking on a big commitment you're asking people to do a lot and you're saying basically okay but huge meaning rewards, serious reward in terms of meaning and purpose and it changes your life I totally believe that, and yet I also recognize as somebody who's not yet on the other side. I mean, hope one day to be, you know, have some kids of my own. But I recognize, uh, you know, yeah, I agree. But I also recognize there's no reason. Uh, why would you ever tell me anything else? I mean, you probably feel like a terrible person. It's if you torn, said anything else. Kids. You can't, yeah, who's gonna say that? Yeah, you know exactly. What I mean <laughs> so it's uh it's a big decision. And it's an example of the kinds of decisions that now um people in free societies are left with that in the past they just didn't have it all because eventually
2: what oh, birth you, control you, you had would fail have- if you even had
1: it. Yeah. You yeah. needed or people to help out through. on the
2: farm. You needed a retirement. Plan. You, did, yeah. you needed, yeah. there, there's yeah, so many things. You needed too. the children for right, poor things.
1: Yes, you needed. Yeah, there was huge. Uh, uh, yeah, like uh, you know, one of the tragedies of our time. We don't more child labor. You know, but but seriously, like uh, you know, there, there are like it is not a functional thing anymore. Yes. You're not doing this for functional reasons. Right. You're doing this for emotional satisfaction and for the uh you know the joy of uh creating a new life and raising and
0: and not and, being uh, alone on your deathbed yeah right exactly these are
1: really these are not uh these are not simple uh, uh simple things you know they're not just like uh, oh, i guess this is just the time to do it i don't have anything else to do like say you know in the past it's it's a tougher choice. And I think that's emblematic. A lot of uh, the problems that afflict men today, like how do I find meaning and purpose in my life? Well, gosh, you know, I guess in the past you've seen the memes of like, uh, you know, men used to be fighting wars and, and all that. And, you know, we, we think about like, oh, gosh, that's terrible. Isn't it nice that we live in a world that's more peaceful. And it's like, well, it's true, you know, but I will say, um, there's probably a serious and extreme sense of, Satisfaction purpose it comes with, uh, you know, have you guys ever seen, uh, you guys I'm sure know a little bit about Napoleon, for example, right? Yeah. I mean, this guy, I mean, he he's defeated in 1814. He's exiled to this island off the coast of Italy. After nine months after the King of France is restored, Napoleon comes back with a couple of soldiers and raises an army purely on force of personality for the purpose of of, uh, of uh, taking down the king. And it almost works. Uh, the all of Europe, again, has to come back and stop him for this. And at this point, this guy has made so many disastrous mistakes. So many people have been killed. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people have died. So many people died that France was, I think the only country in Europe that didn't have a, a population boom in the 19th century, which later had some serious consequences. It was, I'm not, yeah, I'm not an expert in France, but it's what I've heard, and yet, this guy offered such a clarity of purpose, vision, follow me to greatness. Uh, and uh, you know, just men were just like, yeah, I will, hell, I'll join you, we'll march the to parish together. Over, out, out like it's, that is something that I often uh, on Twitter will mock and laugh at, but there's also a kernel of something too, that's hard to create in a society where you say, Create your own purpose. Yeah, your yeah. Own That's what, what I do. You know. I, yeah. What if you just don't wanna? You just want somebody to give it to you. Yeah. That's tough. We got to figure I, out how to deal with that.
2: Yeah. I recent yeah. I recently read um, uh, Cold Mind Control by Stephen Stephenson. and he talks about how cults. What they'll often <laughs> do is they will try to get you to replace your 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 um, your personality with a cult personality. So you adopt the practices, adopt the the, the way to speak, act, talk. And so they get people into these cult mentalities of, of acting like the group and being one with the group. And exactly what you said with Napoleon, people buy into this vision. They, they've replaced their identity with this other identity that's out there that somebody has been showing them this vision of this identity that they can be a part of. And I see that in a lot of smaller ways now with influencers today, getting people to adopt these identities, adopt these um, things. And I, I do uh, back to the original question, how do we fix, yeah. how do we give people a different, the, how do we get people to really, to break free from those things, yeah. To, yeah. to create a positive identity of themselves? Yeah. Uh, that's that's going to be, I think that's going to be the question of, for a long time. Right. I don't know that there's a single answer. Yeah,
1: well, I think, uh, I think uh, it's sort of a combination of saying, well, here, kind of, what's your alternative? And we are fortunate, I suppose, in our time that, and by the way, to be clear, I, I'm, uh, I, uh, just to give some uh, credit to Napoleon. I don't want to say that these folks didn't have agency; they weren't. Uh, but you just like you imagine that the um, the sort of meaning that comes from being told you are on a crusade to liberate the world of kings and emperors, irrespective of the fact that I just declared myself emperor. I mean, <laughs> whatever. But but you know, I mean, just the rhetorical power. It is hard to say um, the idea of self-authorship uh, up against uh, uh, something uh, even approaching that. That's that can be tough because. It's just such a what a rush that must have been, you know. At least until you got a cannonball to the face. That's a rush! So I, I'm not trying to sell short of saying, it, you know, exactly like it's even that a lot of the stuff was uh, was cult-like mentality. Just that group mentality. There was something really powerful to that. Yeah. Um. And it's tough to it is tough to match that on a purely the, individual the, basis. Yeah. The alternative, I guess, is to create voluntary groups, but voluntary groups themselves are a challenge. Um, and uh, it, it can be hard to, uh, uh, without the means of coercion sometimes, to create uh, something quite so compelling. A cult that were purely voluntary perhaps would not be uh, so much of a cult, right? Yeah. But that said, um, I think it's a combination of presenting the, uh, the uh, one of the things we're fortunate about in our time is that in terms of alternatives, all the alternatives to a, a liberal society basically don't have any vigor. In them, liberal society, we talk about all the challenges of the liberal side, but nobody else really has a seriously proposed an alternative model. It's all just folks talking about reanimated versions of far older uh, or far more discredited ideas, mm-hmm. and they basically sort of all seem to share this hope that, look, If we can, uh, if we can just sort of uh, uh, smash this one up enough with a hammer, that will create breathing space for new ideas. But the truth is that uh, these new ideas are not uh, likely forthcoming because, oh, at least I I don't really believe that uh, uh, politics is something that is driven by, like, uh, you know, innovation in a way that's something else. It's sort of a response to circumstances. And and this seems so far still be the best response to the circumstances of uh, the human condition, liberal democracy. Everything else seems to be be worse and nobody wants it. Even if they maybe don't like this, they never affirmatively want the other thing. And that's why even Russia and China still ape the structures of a democratic system. They still talk about how they are more democratic, in fact. But the, the truth is like, the folks out there who argue, uh, uh, actually, we should have less freedom, less democracy, uh, very rarely will they do that openly. And that just shows that the ideas that they have have no vigor, really. All they have as far as vigor is saying, look at the expectations you have for your society. Well, in practice, it has delivered less than those expectations. So we are fortunate enough that that is that's basically the alternative. If somebody saying you're a hypocrite and your society doesn't work as well as you say it should or would or whatever. In the past, people were like, hey, here's some new ideas that we should try. Now there are no new ideas. All the new ideas are just permutations and regurgitations of things that have already been tried, like national conservatism is basically just the same right-wing stuff, hard-boiled and repackaged in a way that, at least for the moment, doesn't uh, uh, isn't usually uh, straight fascism, uh, which basically we'll get there in time. You know, it's still, well, we're still sure. going to have elections, you know, but they're, uh, they're going to be different because only good people will run in these elections. It's just <laughs> the same stuff as always, you know. Yeah. So it's it's we are fortunate we don't have those vibrant alternatives. There still is no real alternative. Like when Francis Fukuyama, uh, who is often memed about now, said that it wasn't that he was saying that everybody's just going to become a liberal. It was that <sighs> I shouldn't quote Francis Fukuyama here, but I think the <laughs> the gist of the idea, as I understand, yeah, is that it's not that there aren't alternatives. It's that there aren't alternatives with vigor. So it's not that we're all destined to become uh, uh, liberal uh, democracies, but it is that that's the only thing people are building toward. Nobody is building toward uh, 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 anything else. They're only trying to destroy this in the hope that something else can be maybe done some point in, in yeah. the future and it just never so that's one that's a good thing that we've got and highlighting that i think is important the other thing is to really i think try and inculcate a sense of self-ownership and try to tell people that look um you know there is no way to meaning and happiness except to try and do the hard work of creating it for yourself and failing that i think we have to figure out ways to uh i don't know ways to make it uh we have to figure out uh Ways to deal with the problem of that the, the large, the, the large part of mankind that is like, oh, I want somebody to give me something to yeah. believe in. I don't really know what the answer to that is because, uh, you know, uh, I, I've heard uh, people say things like, you know, 30% of the population is just generally just inclined toward authoritarianism. You know, I mean, hell, I, I don't know. I don't really have a lot to offer. <laughs> That except you know if you have a sort of um you know, that that's a challenge you know um I'm not I'm not saying that's definitely true but I kind of read that that's a, a, a challenge is just authoritarianism is kind of a mindset that you know, by any other I think I, that
2: mean, I think that the idea that we that, have to you know? control others to a certain degree is just kind of innate yeah to a certain yeah. degree yeah and then remember liberalism is brand spanking new in the grand yeah. scheme of of human history we've had two hundred fifty years where we just had you know, for the 1st hundred hundred-ish years of America's existence, we were the only ones. It yeah. really yeah. was a liberal-ish government. I wouldn't even yeah. call it – I wouldn't say that we were even pure liberal even today. Yeah. We aren't yeah, even pure sure. liberal at well, all. But,
1: I will say I think another challenge that we have is that we don't grapple, I think, honestly, uh, with history and are usefully with history. Uh, we do so in ways that I think – um and they seem to rob it of some of its vigor. Like, for example, one of the things I realized that I would always do in the past is I would say, for all its faults, America, you know, for all its problems, for all its challenges. And I feel like in practice, we should just stop saying stuff like that because nobody who believe, nobody who you can reach cares. And nobody who cares is reachable. You know, and everybody for, all all false, for all its flaws, for all this, despite that, ah, oh, fuck that nobody cares who is uh, the people who are highlighting that stuff at this point the year of our Lord 2023 we're saying the United States is just a fundamentally broken society those people are in practice it is now I think clear to me that that is an argument people are never making in good faith that the purpose of that argument is the same as the national conservatism stuff that I was talking about their point is to try and demolish as much of what exists in the hope that maybe then their ideas which are not popular at all and which yep Boiled-over versions of old di- uh, old of one flavor or another, will have a chance to flourish, and that's why they want to tear down this country or other countries too. It, this happens in uh, uh, in uh, in Britain, which gets it maybe worse than most countries because of the, you know the legacy of empire. People trash every institution there. I mean, you know those poor bastards. They can't even post a picture of their breakfast without somebody <laughs> dogpiling. You know, doesn't look good to me, but I mean they must like it. You know, and so this is a problem. We don't. I think we did have more vigorous defense of our uh, institutions from a, a sort of pride uh, perspective. You know, God, I mean, just imagine the the romance of somebody like George Washington in 1776 fighting against the most powerful empire in the in the world, really, perhaps in the in the history of the world at that time. Yes, uh, it only went on to become more powerful. In fact, it was a yeah. massive uh, enterprise. Uh, uh, fighting against one of the most established ideas in the world of uh, of a hereditary authoritarian monarchy, uh, uh, fighting on the edge of the known world uh, against that, uh, some of the longest odds in the world uh, for the chance to be the author of his own life, just you know, as a as a sample, or or to preserve rather, because you know, people back then, uh of the leaders of the the revolution were. You know, they had already had, uh, I guess, what were traditionally called the rights of, of Englishmen, and they wanted to preserve those, you know, um, from uh, encroaching monarchical power. You know, they, they, that's ultimately, like, that's what it was about, right? The the right to preserve the freedom to be the author of your own life. and Instead of focusing on all the bad, because the bad is not remarkable, right? The bad in human history is, for the most <laughs> part it's yeah. everywhere and it's unremarkable. I mean, you got to get real bad, you know, you got to get Nazi Germany bad before you are specially remarkably bad. Bad is, you know, bad is pretty common, you know. Uh it's the good that is is not and and it's that those exceptions the rule that should really be highlighted.
2: We need and to so, judge people not just clearly we need to we need to have caveats when yeah. we talk about the founding fathers and talk we yeah. should talk about their flaws. Yeah. But they made a step forward. That had never been seen, yeah, and yeah. we like has 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 impacted the world in a positive yeah. way. In in I can if the founding if the revolution had failed, can you imagine what the world picture would look like today? I right. I have a hard time imagining exactly what that would look like. Yeah, uh, well, but yeah. I can guarantee you, it's a lot worse than what it, it looks like today. Our
1: less yeah, absolutely. Uh, of course, uh, there are those who are well, you see would be better off because we wouldn't really know what we had lost and we still would not have lost. We
2: wouldn't have had the war in Vietnam if the America hadn't. Yeah, the well, there you
1: go. Yeah. yeah so like <laughs> so people in the UK, uh, I, I shouldn't say people in the UK, very few people say anything as deranged as us, but they will say something like, well, the revolutionary war was a sort of mistake because, uh, you know, they had them banned the NHS. It's not that bad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, uh, that's what it's all about. The world that we created, um, uh, the world that, that developed uh, from, from uh, that point on, yes, it is defined primarily by the difference in health systems. No, man, you know, it's, it's really worth, I think, and it's, I, I don't have a lot to say for people in other countries because I don't have that, the, their historical experience. So I'm not that. I, I imagine there's something similar to think about for folks abroad, but um, at least here, I mean, how much pride must one be able to take in knowing that the ideas uh, that uh, set forth the uh, thriving of the modern world, uh, in large part, got their start here. And people in Europe had been writing about them, but they hadn't been able to really put them into practice until the United States uh, got started. And then that spark was lit and then it expanded and expanded and expanded. you know, I mean, there's really a lot there to to find romantic and to take pride in. And for people who just are constantly just focusing on the bad, at this point, I have to say it must be obvious that the only people who are served by that are the people who are trying to destroy everything good in your life. Yeah. Every authoritarian, everyone who wants you to be poor for your own good, those are the only people who benefit. Because at the end, as a, as a, one of these uh, trial attorneys, a uh, professor of mine at law school used to say, um, when uh, when uh, the uh, the uh, plaintiff's lawyer would would say, you know, we need this and this much money for the damage you've done, he would come up and say, look, money ain't going to bring him back. You know, money ain't going to bring him back. You know, he would say, you know, the damage has been done, all right? And that's a tragedy. But the fact is that the damage that is being done now is not by the past so much as the people who are trying to use the past now I mean, it's not without exception, but when people are talking about things like the Revolutionary War the Founding Fathers, the damage that was done uh, is uh, not the issue now. What is the issue now is the damage that our people are trying to do, particularly uh, those forces, I guess, animated by Russia and China, but really authoritarians all over the world, are trying to do is they're trying to leverage uh, uh, hypocrisy and inconsistency for the purpose of convincing you to give up your own freedom uh, for the sake of some sort of imagined moral clarity that, of course, uh, you know, and whether other society has a moral record any better than ours, and often much worse. So, um, you know, be proud, unabashedly proud, not in ignorant fashion, like, say, after 9-11, we had a lot of uh, ignorant yeah. and stupid Freedom Fries pride, but, you know, a justifiable, qualified sense of pride in who you are uh, and in, in being a part of uh, you know, an incredible uh, project, a, a group community, a nation dedicated to the prospect or the project of... Individuals flourishing. I mean, yeah. no, that's got to be at least as good as, you know, um, Hungarian nationalism. <laughs> yeah, whining, nope. about, whining like a fucking bitch over the There's... Treaty of Trianon a hundred years later. No offense to Hungary, booze out there. I, I got nothing against Hungary, a valued NATO ally when uh, Victor Orban is not uh, mucking things up. But I mean, come on. If you're an American and you're uh, looking at these places for inspiration, Uh, It's like these communists who want to talk about Lenin and Stalin and won't even give somebody like fucking Eugene V. Debs uh, a chance. You know, I mean, an American socialist. They don't have no interest in that stuff. They just want this amazing nonsense that has no applicability abroad. Uh, It offers nothing. Uh, If if you want, you know, you want. So that's, I guess, my idea maybe for a sense of identity is maybe a renewed sort of uh, unashamed. Uh, uh, intellectually qualified, but not uh, constantly tripping over itself to, to prove that it's uh, you know good and decent and caring and thinking about all this stuff, just says, no, America is freedom, is good, and there's value and virtue in that because it allows you to be the author of your own life and to transcend misery that has defined the human condition everywhere and always in the past. Here's a chance to do something else. This is a project worth being a part of, worth uh, contributing to, worth identifying with. Uh, and worth defending. There's
0: something that, that is, absolutely. In- yeah. No, I was going to say. I think we're we're over our target <laughs> time. So I think I, I couldn't have chosen a better way to kind of encapsulate the conversation. I mean, effectively, that's a lot of the ways. That's a lot of the motivations behind what we're doing with Project liberal. We want to be guided by that true optimism and that, that that mindset, like that bring people back to the true values that like made the society great because we believe that they're not dead. They can make society great in the future. Um, and fighting the central planners of culture and the central planners in government uh, by showing clearly that the ideas, even though they feel unmoored and unguided, can lead us to a better life, and 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 re- I really loved your commentary on on self ownership and really the importance yeah. of that. That is sh- so so critical. A lot of people don't really think about that. We need more voices that are advocating yeah. for it. So. so
2: much, so much of our society and so much of our discourse is talking about tearing things down, tearing yeah. other people down, tearing institutions down. Sometimes we need to tear institutions and ideas yeah. and things down. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But we have to be able to build things up. And yeah. America gave us a hell of a foundation to build things up on. Yeah. Our founding fathers really built a foundation that we can build on and we can improve on. And there are plenty of improvements to be had, yeah. but we can build on those things. We can build on these ideas. And, and, and like you said, the way that they've spread around the world, I mean, it's not universal, but it's hard to imagine in three or four more generations that these ideas won't spread because there's just an innate human desire. We talked about innate human desire to control other people, but there's also an innate human desire to be free.
1: Wow. And you can't yeah, be free
2: if you're trying to control everyone else.
1: Well, that is a challenge, I think, sometimes to appreciate is because, of course, um, I mean, you know, like that wasn't always true that, that when we say, well, we, I think it's true that everybody wants to be free, to be able to, to shape their own life in at least whatever capacity they'd like to. And not everybody has the same desire to, to make all the decisions that, that maybe other people want to make, but they want to make some decisions. But at the same time, freedom, um, certainly in the United States, like the, the one I was just praising at first was I want the freedom to author my own life. And of course, obviously, the lives of all the people who I control, you know, not just slavery, but, you know, family, children, poor, whatever. Right. I, but so that idea is like it, it it's never like perfect and unfinished. But the, the fact is you, you do start from something, you shape it prove. And I mean we've now seen several alternatives of basically, okay, we yeah, we're literally gonna burn it all down and start over. And it's kind of like I watched this incredible just uh, YouTube series like on the French Revolution. I mean this isn't the only thing I've you know learned or read about the French Revolution. This is just the most recent one. It was kind of fun. I was listening to this while I was cleaning out my garage the weekend. Like 34 parts of, uh, of uh, like an hour each it's the most insane thing that somebody just is making this just for fun you know hey because they, they they were great they were fantastically researched they only had like four or five thousand views so it's not like this person was making it for money He's just doing it because they like doing it um and uh, maybe hopefully someday get some money i don't even remember his name tragically enough but french revolution just search like part 34 or something and find them on um so uh and it's just like yeah they they tried to destroy everything not at first at first uh they were like yeah let's okay we're gonna keep king we're gonna you know they tried to do something that sounded very american but for a variety of reasons it didn't it just didn't pan out that way and so eventually got to a point where they did try to destroy everything all the religion we're gonna have cult of the supreme being and uh the state's gonna have Full unmitigated power to make people into better people. And it just didn't work. It just ended up the same thing. Uh, you basically got, instead of you have uh, the all powerful King Louis, you have uh, the uh, even more all powerful Emperor Napoleon, who admittedly was more competent than, than any of the Bourbon monarchs. But that's not what the, the revolution was. We want to have a more competent, uh, all powerful leader, right? And it's the same with the Soviets. I mean, certainly, Stalin was far and away more competent than Tsar Nicholas, but that wasn't what the whole thing was about, you know, it wasn't millions of lives lost over 30 years of struggle and misery so that we could trade out Tsar Nicholas for somebody with even more power, you know, that's, that's not, that's what destroying everything gets you, you know, if you have the moral courage to say, hey, let's grapple with things in a real way, and then think about, like, what can we improve upon, you well, can make some real progress, but it does require a little moral courage, because it, it does feel like a lot easier to just say... No. Nah, I'm morally pure. Burn it all. And fuck right. me Man, who cares about the consequences and of course the people who say that typically do not suffer the consequences as directly although to be fair at least Robespierre got his head cut off at the end of it so there is <laughs> justice in this world uh,
0: what a great way to cap it so I, I don't know if you guys have anything else to add but since we're at about hour 45 I think it is time to wind it down do you guys have anything else you want to comment on or maybe plug one
2: thing I love yeah. I love the hold the course uh, poster in the back <laughs> yeah that's one of my uh, favorites from the uh, neoliberal great project one. there
1: let me See if I can get the camera. There we oh go. my gosh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh reaction revolution. I love how you have not yeah. Yeah, and I it's want to be- I didn't see that was in the background. Yeah, thank you. you know, I, I do want to be clear. I think that the right in uh, in in a developed country is somewhat more dangerous than left at baseline because the right is able to take power in modern societies through violent force or through the ballot box and, and build authoritarian societies in a way the left has not yet been able to. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it seems like it is just the left has not been able to take a developed country. And then turn it into a socialist dictatorship. Um, he, the closest I think of socialism is the British like Labour Party. Uh, maybe they were able to get something really like state planning in, in place, but they, even that went to hell, you know. So it, it you know that collapsed. So I, I do think that I don't want to say everything is equally you know the same. In my opinion, I think there is a difference, and I do think at baseline, I mean, I, even though I don't like Bernie Sanders politics, I find him less. Threatening it institutional uh, to the institutions at a baseline than say, uh, you know Donald Trump. But that said, I do believe that the problems are you know the problems are common and frankly I think the biggest thing the DNC has going for it is that Trump happened to the Republicans before some figure like that could happen to them and so now they have the benefit of being able to say we're against that loss aversion is easier than. Listen, uh, so the,
2: my, my favorite thing about Democrats is that they're not Republicans. And my favorite yeah. thing about Republicans is that they're not Democrats.
1: Yeah. So I, I'm not trying to say that everything is the same. I'm, I'm not trying to both sides things. Um, I do acknowledge their problems on, on both sides. though. So I, I do want to make that clear. But since the poster, it sort of implies that it's the same both ways. I think broadly speaking, intellectually, the challenges are the same. In the United States today, and I'd say probably in developed countries, I think the, the risk on the right is slightly, I'd say demonstrably higher. But let's uh, not say that there's not most from the left because oh, the left's greatest problem is that it can wreck things up so bad that it creates great conditions for the right to really wreck things up.
0: That's a so. really good point. That uh, honestly feels like also another topic for a whole nother conversation because that alone, I feel like we
1: could talk about for two nice hours. Thanks for me go on and ramble. Yeah,
0: no, I really oh, I enjoyed it. it.
1: Do you do you have any plugs you want to throw at the um, audience before we leave? I haven't been, been doing my streaming lately, but I am always uh, on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash everyday Warren and- X.com now. X.com, yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. I just—it's not just—it's just not a name that rolls X. off the I can't. tongue. I can't. It's not a name I can't that rolls talk. off the tongue. That's the yeah. problem. Even well, if go you give, know exactly. go give,
0: go give Warren a follow at Everyday Warren on X, and make sure he gets that sweet, sweet. X revenue that he's going to be bringing in this me. <laughs> right, right, right. uh, I'll wrap us up there since we're at an hour 50. Uh, this was the Project Liberal show. We'll be back probably within two weeks with another episode. I appreciate everyone's time. Thanks again, Warren. Thanks, Jonathan. Everyone Thanks for have a warm having week. me. It was so much yeah. fun
1: talking with y'all. I really appreciate everything you do. And it's a lot of fun talking with you. We'll try to have you right. back soon.
0: I right Thanks again. See you guys.